Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. We start with the ALCS, but where do we start with the ALCS? I mean, where do you start with a game like that? That game had everything last night. Mookie Betts nearly making the catch of a lifetime to rob a home run. George Springer going yard. Jackie Bradley Jr. going yard again. And then there was Andrew Benintendi saving the game with a diving catch to preserve that win. 8-6 to give Boston a stranglehold on that series. However, however, the real name of the game last night was Joseph Henry West. Joe West. Cowboy Joe. I mean, you thought Betts? was going to impose his will on that game. You thought JBJ was going to be the ALCS MVP. What about Benintendi? Nope, got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. This is Joe West series, and you better recognize. In fact, this is Cowboy Joe's world, and we're all just living in it. And my man got to work inserting himself in this series in the bottom of the first last night. The pitch winging in a high five ball, right field. Mookie going back, back to the fence, jumps, and he can't get it, but he knocks it down. And let's see what the umpire calls. Fan interference, I think, it will be the call by Joe West. Fan interference is the call. That's is seven feet high there. And Joe West quickly, the right field umpire, signaled fan interference. And so A.J. Hitch coming out to talk to Joe West right now. Mookie made a great effort to get to it. The ball would have been gone. It was over the fence. Calling Altuve out. Now they're going to confer here. This could be a home run. I don't know. This is a very complex call here, and now we're getting the headsets off, and the call is out. He's out. What a break for the Red Sox. Yeah, you think? Red Sox radio. So why don't we just go ahead and go to the rule book? What's the call here? Let's go to the rule book. Rule book reads, quote, No interference shall be allowed when a fielder reaches over a fence, railing, rope, or into a stand to catch a ball. He does so at his own risk. However, should a spectator reach out on the playing field side of such fence, railing, or rope and plainly prevent the fielder from catching the ball, then the batsman should be called out for the spectator's interference. End quote. All right, so quite obviously, the question is, Where did the contact with the glove occur? If it was in the field, it should be interference, and it's an out. If it was in the stands, it should be a home run. And look, nobody is quicker to bash fans for reaching over the railing than I am. Any fan who does that is a colossal moron and a tool, and it hurts their team. Except, I'm not so sure that's what happened in this case. So knowing that, let's run it back one more time quickly. The pitch winging in a high fly ball, right field. Mookie going back, back to the fence, jumps, and he can't get it, but he knocks it down. And let's see what the umpire calls. Fan interference, I think, it will be the call by Joe West. Fan interference is the call. The fence is seven feet high there. The ball would have been gone. It was over the fence. Calling Altuve out. Now they're going to confer here. This could be a home run. I don't know. This is a very complex call here, and now we're getting the headsets off, and the call is out. He's out. What a break for the Red Sox. Right, so if you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you're seeing that video. You've probably seen it already. If you're not, you're listening, and then you heard that play-by-play. Did you like that play-by-play? Did you think that was good? Yeah, well, Joe West thinks that Joe West play-by-play is better. And here it goes. This is what Joe West said after the game. He told a pool reporter, quote, here's the whole play. Here's the whole play. He hit the ball to right field. 
He jumped up to try to make a catch. The fan interfered with him over the playing field. That's why I called spectator interference. End quote. Gotta love that. Because watching it live, it sure didn't look like the fans reached into the field of play. If anything, Betts' glove was going into the stands and it hit the fans. But not according to Cowboy Joe. And can I pause right here for one moment? You know the old adage that if we know an umpire's name, that's a bad sign? Yeah, well, if you're an umpire and you have a nickname, that's an even worse sign. And we don't just know Joe West's name. We know him as Cowboy Joe West. All right, so back to Cowboy Joe West doing what Cowboy Joe West does. Cowboy Joe says the fans reached into the field and interfered with bets. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your eyes or are you going to believe Joe West? Joe West says you should believe Joe West. And Jim Rome says if Joe West called it interference, then it probably wasn't. And if Joe West is telling that pool reporter after the game that the replay official said that he was right, then he's probably wrong. And by the way, they didn't say he was right. That would have meant the call was confirmed. They said the call stood, which means they couldn't overturn it that there was not enough evidence conclusive enough to overturn. But to me, there was. You want evidence. Here's all the evidence you need. Evidence being that since it was Joe West who said that it was not a home run, it probably was. And evidence being that I've got two eyes. Very good eyesight. And it's pretty clear to me that ball was over the yellow line and in the stands when the contact was made. Again, That's the issue. Was contact made in the field of play or was it made in the stands? And to me and most everybody else who was not a Red Sox honk thought that ball was in the stands. Except the powers that be felt that they did not have a definitive angle to overturn it. And the reason they didn't have a definitive angle was because the outfield railing was blocked by a security guard who was leaning in so he could see the play. So what I'm saying is this. The Astros get jammed. If Joe West ruled it a home run, it would have stood as a home run. But instead, he ruled it as spectator interference, which made it an out. And that out cost the Astros two runs in the first and maybe more. To say nothing of the momentum of starting the game by tying it up in the bottom of the first. Oh, because in case you forgot, the final margin of error, er, victory, was of course two runs. Yeah, but at least that wasn't an important game or anything. And then there's the game itself. And Astro fans, I completely get why you're bent today. I totally understand. And we'll get to that too. I'm not saying that's why you lost that game. I'm not saying that's why you lost that game. I'm saying you got jammed. And I'm saying that that ball to me was clearly over the line and in the stands. And if that's where the contact was made, then that should have been a home run. Not only that, at the very least... You've got Altuve standing on second base, but that's not the way that was. I'm not going to say it's going to cost them that game. I'm going to say it hurt them a lot. Thanks, Joe. And it's too bad that we're starting the show by talking about the umpire. Bottom line, tough enough to beat a team that's won 108 games, but nearly impossible when Cowboy Joe West is in the middle of it making a call like that. Ty Montgomery. Ty, it's great to have you back. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, Ty. Listen, you're on a bye week, so I really appreciate this, and I do want to talk to you about that game against the 49ers, but we need to start with the really important stuff. Did I see you tweeting a pic from a Williams Chickens drive-thru today? What was your order? How good did it taste, and how'd that go for you? Oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Um, Every time I'm back in Dallas, I love Williams Chicken. 
and I had to I had to stop there, and I always get me an eight piece dark and a couple of fries, and and uh, you know maybe some corn fritters or something, and it's always good eating. We don't we don't have any chicken places like that in Green Bay. No, I hear you. I see you working, so that's good. It's always good to get that in, and you get that in during the bye week, and especially after a win like that. It's been a couple of days since that comeback win over San Francisco, so when you look back on that game, what sticks out to you the most about it? Um, You know, it, it felt good as an offense to finally start putting the ball in the end zone, um, especially when we needed it. Um, you know, field goals are always good, but, you know, we always want to score touchdowns, and, um, you know, it was a little frustrating um, the past couple of weeks to put up, you know, large large amounts of yards and, you know, not really putting up any touchdowns. So um, that felt that, that felt really good, and it felt really good to just come out with a win. You know, again, we had to have, a, you know, another another last-second drive, but, you know, it seems to be that's, that's what we do now. That's what we're good at. We're talking to Ty Montgomery. You guys have been there before, and it seems to me that you're really calm in that situation. Really quickly, on your touchdown, San Francisco did score first, and then you capped off a drive with a two-yard TD reception to tie that game at seven. What did you see on that play? I'm sorry, say that again. I couldn't hear you. What did you see on that play when you scored that TD? How'd that play look to you, and what did you see? Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, I think McCutcheon called it, you know, like, like a new wrinkle we added in, and it was something that, you know, we were kind of talking about. And, you know, once we broke the huddle and we ran out there, I saw some discombobulation amongst the defense, and it seems, it seems to me they didn't really know how to line up to it. And, uh, you know, the guys in front of me, I believe it was uh, Mercedes and Rob and, Lance and I mean those guys did a I mean basically did a great job of just getting in front of bodies and I mean he just walk in untouched. Thursday night is an enormous night for sports and before you get to the couch, you need to get to my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. This is why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, they are the very best bet this season. They have been in business for years, they have great reviews online, and their mobile site is so easy to use. I would only recommend a service to you that I've been using myself. This is why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join right now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code Rome and activate that offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. Do not forget to use the promo code Rome when creating your account, and you can claim up to one thousand in free play. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie. Ty Montgomery joining us because of some discombobulation on the defense. I like that. So late in the game, as you mentioned, you guys come back once again. 49ers played well, and they were leading late in the fourth. Aaron Rodgers ties the game with a huge pass to Devontae Adams. Then Kevin King comes down with that interception with 60 seconds, 67 seconds left to give you a chance to win. But you're on your own 10-yard line, Ty. Rodgers said that when that drive started, he was thinking overtime. Were you thinking the same thing? Absolutely not. I was thinking, let's go down and score. And, you know, once I heard the run call, I wanted to score. I wanted to take it to the house, you know, walk on, let's go home. You know, honestly, you know, I was thinking, this is cold. I want to get home to my son. I don't want to play overtime. Let's not make this bye week any shorter than it already is. So I was trying to score. And uh, it, felt, it felt pretty good, you know, once I was able to get around the edge, get a good 15 yards and get out of bounds. And, you know, next thing I know, the play calling is, you know, just like, all right, let's go score. 
Tom Montgomery, my guest. I'm glad you mentioned your son. I'm going to ask you about him in one minute. But as you point out, you start that drive off. You have that 14-yard gain on first down. Again, what did you see on that play, and how important was it to get that kind of chunk yardage as quickly as possible? Um, you know, the one thing I was thinking is, you know, we, we called an inside zone run, and, um, you know, I was, I was scanning the defense, and I was looking at the front, and um, I just the three technique caught my attention and just watching film and, and the way those guys shed blocks and try to two-gap sometimes. Um, I tried to be a little patient with him, and I was just going to go um, – you know, whichever direction he gave me, and he kind of, kind of peeked outside and then jumped back inside, and it allowed me to get outside, which is you know really what I wanted to do because I wanted to get yards and get out of bounds. That's what I was thinking. Um, otherwise, I was thinking I got to take this thing up the middle and I got to go fast and get as much as I can so we can try to cross the ball. And once I was able to get outside, I was just trying to get chunks and chunks, and I wanted to score, but you know I started to get cornered and boxed in, so I just stepped out of bounds. Packers running back, Ty Montgomery, my guest. Ty, because you've been in this situation so many times before, is there a certain calmness to the offense that we've done this before, we can do it again? Can you slow everything down because you've been in that situation so many times? Uh, I think so. You know, it, it seems like we, we've done it so many times now, just like you said. And, and you know, we have, we have Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback, and obviously he's really freaking good at what he does, and he's really good in those moments. Um, so, you know, I think, I think everyone on the offense is comfortable in those situations, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, just don't want to have to be in those situations too often. Tom Montgomery is my guest. What about Mason Crosby? I mean, knowing what a rough game he had the week before and how much heat, heat he took for that, how good was it to see him come through with the game winner the way he did? Oh, man, I was pumped. I was really happy for him. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any concerns or worries because I know how good he is. Everybody has has an off game, but for him to be able to come back from the Detroit game and he made some big picks for us and, you know, then to end up getting the game winner, it was perfect. And Todd, looking at your game from 2015 to 2017, you averaged more than six yards per touch, which is better than guys like David Johnson, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, and Ezekiel Elliott. So how are you able to put yourself in a position, both mentally and physically, that no matter where they line you up, you're going to make an impact in pretty much every time you touch the ball? Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I think that's just a mindset I have. Um, no matter what it is, no matter what I'm asked to do, no matter um, where I'm at on the field, I just want to be productive and I want to make plays. Um, you know, it, it feels like to me the only thing that matters in this league is production. And you know, even if it's in small amounts, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting a lot of touches. Um, you know, splitting a lot of time with with other two really good backs. And, you know, and that's just the way it is. I mean, those guys deserve their time too. And we just all need to be, be be productive whenever we get the chance. And that's what I want to do. I want to be efficient. I want to be productive whether I'm catching the ball, whether I'm running the football, breaking tackles, returning kicks, or, you know, rushing punts. It doesn't matter what it is. I just want to be productive. Um, start fast, stay focused, and find a way to finish. Time that's what I learned in college. Ty Montgomery joining us, something you learned in college. You know, last time you were on, we talked about how much fun you were having as a father. You mentioned your son a few moments ago, like, I don't want to play OT. I want to get to that bye week and spend some time with my son. Now that we're a little later on in the season, how how much fun are you having still being a father, and what's it like to have that kind of time with your son during a bye week? Oh, I love it, and I'm, I'm enjoying every moment of it. Um, having, him, having him back in Dallas, um, taking him to see his family, um, you know, we're going to go to the ranch, and he's going to be able to come up to the ranch with us and just, um, I'm I'm loving it. I'm, I, it's, it's, you know, I, I think I did this last time. Whenever I started talking about him, I started getting speechless because it's just one of those feelings that's tough for me to explain. 
Um, but I just look into his eyes every single day, and I see his smile and his personality, and I just, I just absolutely adore him. Right. So for those who don't know, how old is he now? He is four and a half months now. Hmm. I'm telling you, it's amazing. If, if you're getting, if you have that kind of perspective already, and you have that kind of feeling already at four and a half months, you will not believe how much better it gets. And as he gets older and does more and develops that personality and you can interact, it is the greatest thing ever. It is the best thing ever. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I get a lot of advice and you, know, you don't want to rush anything because you're going to miss these days. So I'm trying my best, you know, to stay away from the, oh, I can't wait till he can do this until he can do that. But I'm definitely looking forward to those days. Packers are at the Rams on October 28th. They're coming on, or they're in a bye week right now. Green Bay is three, two, and one. Hey, Ty, I appreciate you, especially to come on the show during a bye week. It means a lot to me, Ty. Thanks so much. Great to have you back. No problem. Thank you. For some reason, I love you guys. I just can't stay away from you. I love it. Thursday's Daily Jungle is brought to you by Ferguson. Listen to this. No matter how big or small your team is. Ferguson has a winning game plan for pro contractors with thousands of plumbing repair parts, knowledgeable associates, and the largest national footprint in the game. When the pressure is on, you can count on Ferguson. Napes v. Brad was the main event. Now, just to go back very quickly, as many of you know, I was in New York City on Tuesday. What most of you don't know and all of you don't care about is how late that I was there and how late I got back in to Southern California, like middle of the night late. So while I admit it was not ideal for me to take off yesterday, quote, in the fall book during the NFL season, I understand that. It was not ideal. Not the best thing ever. But once again, if I don't use that vacation time, I lose that vacation time. Plus, While it was not ideal, I knew that I had a pro's pro coming in for me, Grant freaking Napier. Nothing to worry about with Napes in the house. Love this guy, and I love the job that he does for the jungle. Nobody's been doing it as well for as long as he has. Now, that being said, I got to be honest. I don't remember the last time that I had to circle back and reset a moment from a guest host a day before. No disrespect to any of the guest hosts. This is not an easy show to do. It has never been an easy show for guest hosts to do, and especially now that it's a simulcast. Now it's a TV show, too. So there's a whole other element to it and another dynamic. This is not an easy show to host if you don't do it every single day the way I do. But usually when we do this, they come in, I don't worry about them, and I move on. And then I come back the next day and I don't reference it because... That's two days of content that I have. I double down on the content when I miss a day. Except, as you're starting to get the idea, some things happened yesterday while I was not here. And especially something that I would have never believed had I not heard it on tape. Did the four-time smack-off champ, Brad in Corona, really call in yesterday? Did Brad in Corona not only call this show outside of a smack-off, but did he call this show on a day when I was not here? Did that really happen? Did a guy that I hear from maybe, maybe twice a year call a guest host? And did he do so under the alias of Bert in Modelo? Bert in Modelo. And did he do it in order to run personal appearance smack on somebody that I handpick to run the jungle while I'm gone? Did all of that really happen? Like I said, I would have never believed it until I heard it. Let's get to Bert. Bert, you're on with Grant Napier. Go ahead. Actually, uh, 
call screener got the name wrong. It's not Bert. It's four-time smack-off champion Brad and Corona, but whatever. Listen, Alvin, please cut off <laughs> Napier's manual buzzer authority and give me like two minutes alone with this guy so I can properly welcome him to my jungle. Napier, buddy, I did some Googling on you right now, and I have to say your wife is incredibly good-looking. What a smoke show of a wife you have, Grant. <laughs> I would definitely uh, concur with that. Like, That's one thing tell we me agree this with. Woman is legally blind, or you're some sort of. I asked, hey, listen. Or... When I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. The first response was, "What is the name of your seeing eye dog?" So yes, yeah, she is blind. Does she owe you money, Grant Napier? She's got to be attracted to you for something other than your looks and or talent. Hey, serious question though for you, and you can answer this when I'm done. Uh, what kind of dimly lit bar lighting did you have them install in your house? to fool your wife into thinking you two are in the same league all these years. Like, don't get me wrong. It's a genius move what you're pulling off here. Having a job where you have to get up and leave the house when it's still dark outside. Then you work until it's dark outside again. Then you come home to your flattering bar lighting and your really good-looking wife who's disproportionately more attractive than you are. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you're ugly, Grant. I'm just saying I feel sorry for the makeup people at CBS this morning. You're probably not the best canvas for an artist to paint on, if you know what I mean. These people are literally putting lipstick on a pig when you walk into the studio, Grant. Thoughts and prayers of the makeup team at CBS. Best case scenario, guys, is when you're done with him, he looks like what would happen if Ron Howard got a bunch of Botox. So this is pretty much as good as it gets. How did you land this beautiful woman, Grant? You must have $10 million in a crank the size of that microphone you're talking about. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, I guess that's Brad, all right. That, that is Brad. That is Brad doing Brad things. Absolutely eviscerating anybody and everybody before getting in some kamikaze line about a crank the size of a microphone. Freaking Brad. Dude, what has gotten into you? First Hawk, now Napes. I mean, Hawk's dead keto body isn't even cold yet. And Brad is swinging back through to dig another hole in the grand ground for Napes. What's going on with Brad? I'm trying to figure out what's going on with this dude. I mean, why is he doing this? You know the answer to that question rhetorically. Why does anybody do anything? Because they can. And Brad can. I mean, is that what this is? Is it just that easy for this guy? Is he now just flexing? Or is this the new version of the champ? That we haven't seen before. And by that I mean two non-smack-off calls in the last two weeks. And now I have to wonder if I can ever take another day off ever again. Because it's probably not right for me to leave this post if it means a funeral for every one of my guest hosts. All people that I think very highly of. Especially Grant Napier. And with the holidays coming up. I'm legit worried that Brad might be coming back to fill up his own personal cemetery. Brad, listen, you know I like you. You're one of, if not the best to ever do it. In fact, it actually came up on my morning hit with Dan Cilio on 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. Cilio said, I think this guy Rome is a top three clone. And my response was, my dude's not only a top three clone, He's not only the best caller in the history of this show, he's probably the best caller in the history of radio. In any format, any genre, at any time. The guy's that good. And I've got that much respect for him. But, 
But no one is bigger than the game, not even the BIC. And the rules that apply to everybody else also apply to him. I don't care how many smack-offs he's won. And one of the only rules of this show is personal appearance smack is not show fodder. And the BIC, legendary as he is, called in yesterday and straight called Grant Napier ugly to his face. You can't do that. He just said, literally, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. Literally. Hey, Brad, you can't do that. I mean, I'd prefer that if a guest host and a pro like Napes at that goes to all the trouble he went to to host his show, I'd prefer that you not light that cat on fire. Now, Napes knows where he is. He knows that the substitute teacher is going to catch some. That's fine. But doing what Brad did to him is not fine. Best case scenario, guys, is when you're done with him, he looks like what would happen if Ron Howard got a bunch of Botox. So (laughs) this is pretty much as good as it gets. How did you land this beautiful woman, Grant? You must have $10 million in a crank the size of that microphone you're talking (laughs) about. Broham, you are the champ. And yes, probably the best to ever do it. The best there ever will be. But I can't have you doing that. Number one, it is prohibited. Number two, if every single guest host knows that you're coming for him and will do them dirty like that, no one's going to sit in this chair. And if nobody sits in this chair, I never get another day off. Bert in Modelo. You're lucky he even performs for you bastards. Leave Napier alone. Freaking Brad. Come on, Brad. This is the last thing I expected on my day off. But then again, why am I surprised? Is this not the same guy that ran himself in Smackoff 23 when it looked like he might wire the field and win? And then come back for Smackoff 24 with a couple of Canadians on his banana hammock. So maybe this is par for the course for the champ, for Brad, for Bert, for Barry, for Ben. For whatever the hell his name is. Hey, Ben? Barry? Burt? Brad? Dude, stop wrecking my guest hosts. Stop wrecking my days off. I've earned them, bro. I intend on taking as many of them as I can. But you're not helping them. You're hurting them, Burt. And you shouldn't be doing that on the radio, Barry. Leave Napes alone! October is a great time of year to get to a game, and if you're going, you want to make sure to check out my pals at Vivid Seats. With Vivid Seats, a brand new sponsor here, you can attend the concert, the show, or sporting event of your choice and do so at a great price. Here's what I like about Vivid Seats. It is the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to, and you can sort by price or look for the seats in the section and the row of your choice. And to make it even better, Vivid Seats is reaching out to you new customers and will give you a promo code, which will give you 10% off your first ticket order so you can save even more money. Here's what you do. You go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers, make sure you use the promo code Rome and get 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every single purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Make sure you download that app and enter the promo code Rome and get 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime. Let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. 
Vivid Seats. This is a great company with an awesome proposition. Check it out yourself. Vivid Seats. We are joined by their quarterback, Mason Fine. Mason, good morning. Nice to have you on. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to visit with you. You beat Southern Mississippi 30-7 in a game where you had more than 300 total yards yet again. Mason, that win means the program is bowl eligible for the third straight season. I know you've got bigger plans and goals for the season, but how does it feel to know that this program is going to go bowling once again? Yeah, you know, that's just one of our goals uh, heading into the season, and you know, we accomplished that by midseason, just really taking it one week at a time and really just kind of maximizing each practice and making sure we're the most excited team to play and the most prepared team to play. And, you know, we've had a you know couple of ups and downs throughout the season, but right now we like where we're at and we're in a good position. And I feel like, you know, we have a great team. Defense is playing really well. Offense is, uh, is coming along. And we're just uh, really focused on getting better uh, each and every day. Mason Fine joining us. You know, to fully understand and appreciate where you're at, I think that the listeners need to know where you started. And not everybody listening right now knows your backstory. I ran down your accomplishments at the start. Anybody who's paying attention to college football knows both about you and North Texas. But to go back, you're from Pegs in Northeast Oklahoma. People in that town say that you were the one that put them on the map. How big is Pegs and what was it like growing up there? Oh, uh, Pegs, Oklahoma is about a town of about 500 people. Uh, we actually didn't have a high school there, so it was a K through eight. And I, my graduating class, my eighth grade year, was about 20 people in that class, so not that big. But uh, it was just a real small town community. My whole family's from around there. It was really just a, a great place to grow up. A real uh, outdoors person. It's an incredible story. Now you joked that the stadium capacity was zero because there was nobody in the stands because they had to all bring their own lawn chairs. But it was on yep. that field that you used to throw a football when you were really young and dream about one day playing Division One football. So when you go back to that stadium, what kind of thoughts do you have, and how much of it is about what you and your dad did there? Yeah, when I go back to that 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 uh, field, uh, it's just a you know it's a great feeling to you kind of know where you started started from and. The memories are just really just not even the games, but really just me and my dad going out there every evening after he got home from work. We would head up to the football field and we'd throw and throw until it got about dark. And I remember just coming home and then we eating dinner that my mom had. But it was always just <laughs> um, going and throwing with my dad. And really, I always joke around how my dad can't really run no more because he blew out his knee running routes for me. So I owe him a lot for him doing that for me. Mason Fine joining us. So in high school, I mean, you and your dad put in the time, you do the work, and then in high school, you're breaking one passing record after another, yet you were not heavily recruited. What was that experience like? I think it was a really frustrating time because, you know, what you're putting on film was, you know, as good as you could. I remember being the most prepared and really just really focusing on making, uh, you know, the job easy for my teammates and winning games. And we were winning games. We were putting up big numbers. Our offense was really unstoppable, and I really felt during my high school there was really nothing else I could do uh, to put on the field. And, you know, the schools just weren't coming. You know, everyone told me I was undersized. I would never play at this level. Just really, you know, I didn't have the uh, the measurables to play. And that was just a really frustrating time because it got near signing day, and I didn't have no offers. I didn't know where I was going to end up going. So this was a really tough time. Mason Fine joining us. Listen, I appreciate that, and I respect that. I mean, that's a, that's a real response. That's really candid. So Oklahoma yep. State says that they've got a spot for you if one of their guys decommits, and then he did. So I'd imagine you're pretty hyped about that. And then they tell you they'd only have a spot for you as a preferred walk-on, and then you're right back in this thing again. How tough was it to hear that news at that point? Yeah, I think I had a really good relationship with Oklahoma State, and it's an in-state school. 
you know, a lot of fans. You know, my family loved Oklahoma State growing up, and so that was just really the ideal choice. You know, not long, uh, not far from home, and just really the the place I really wanted to go. You know, besides you know the University of Tulsa, which is about 40 minutes from my house. But um, you know, I had a great relationship, and you know, I thought it would work out there, and it just it ended up not working out. But you know. Uh, it's all worked out for the better. Yeah, it has. I mean, so then at that point, it seems like maybe you play Division Two ball, maybe you go somewhere as a preferred walk-on, but then North Texas shows up. What was your reaction? What did it feel like when they reached out? You know, I was ecstatic. And um, my head coach at the time at Locust Grove, uh, he came and got me out of class, and he said, hey, Coach Harrell's here to see you. And I knew exactly who he was talking about, Graham Harrell. You know, I grew up watching him at Texas Tech, and I was really excited and I was like, well, they're really showing interest, you know, if they're coming all all this way up here. Because I didn't really have a whole lot of coaches come to my school and talk to me. So I think it was more of uh, a Coach Harold coming up and making that eyeball test, seeing how tall I really was. And you know, after speaking to him, they, I mean, come down there for a visit uh, down here at North Texas. And, you know, blessed. And they all, uh, decided to offer me a scholarship. And, you know, I committed right there. And it's been history ever since. Perseverance. Mason Fine joining us on all the watch lists that I mentioned. You know, I had your head coach, Seth Luttrell, on the show earlier this season. He talked about how much he loves you, loves you as a player. What's it like to play for him as a coach? Oh, he's a great coach. He's a, a really a big about personal relationships, and he really does a great job of communicating to his players, you know, in the team room, but also individually. He really builds a bond with you personally, and we can joke around, um, you know, have good jokes, or I can go, go to him about any personal issues I'm having and know that you know I can trust him and we can have that open relationship and I think that shows out there on on, on game day you know we, we have that trust we have that loyalty towards each other it just um, I think it trickles down to all the other players and it just brings that confidence and that a certain edge and chip on our shoulder that we're able to go out there and uh, compete every day. Mason Fine joining us. You know, in terms of that chip, Mason, fact of the matter is there were a lot of people, I mean, literally everybody who passed on you, and now you're putting up crazy numbers. The program's having an amazing year. You've been a part of it, just a tremendous turnaround. Is there any part of you, humble as you are, is there any part of you that wants to say to everybody who passed on you, how do you all like me right now? <laughs> I mean, you don't really want me to say that, and I really don't care about, you know, the outside world. And, you know, kind of what they think of me. I'm just going to focus on myself, keep doing what I'm doing, keep my head down, listen to what my coaches are saying. Just really be the best teammate and the best leader I can be for my uh, for my teammates. And at the end, it'll all, uh, it'll all work out. I just got to keep my head down, keep working, and really just become the best per- person I can be. Like I said, humble. Mason Fine joining us. You know, the team was 1-11 in 2015 when you got there. And it wasn't like you were rolling into a program that was firing on all cylinders. And then that season, when you got there, you said that you weighed roughly 160 pounds. And you took some big hits now. But the fact is, you're significantly bigger now. And you guys are the ones who are doling out the punishment, beating teams like Arkansas in their own place. How far have you come as a player? And how far has the program come in the years since you arrived there? Yeah, you know, I came I came in as a true freshman, really expecting to redshirt and really focus on gaining my weight. But, you know, I had a really good fall camp, and by the end of the game one, week one, they decided that they were going to give me the starting position. And you're right, I weighed about 160, and <laughs> I'll be honest with you, it was really fast-paced my freshman year. I, didn't, I was kind of like a chicken with a head cut off out there trying to play football. You talked to my offense coordinator and Graham Harrell, and there was a lot of dark times and a lot of low times that year. And we really don't talk about my freshman year because of how bad my performance was at times. But, um... I really just, in the offseason, I really just focused on uh, getting in the film room, 
uh, learning this offense inside and out and really knowing what the defense is trying to do and exploit that. And I've also gotten bigger, faster, stronger, you know, in my offseason. I really took pride in making sure to get stronger in the weight room, and I was in there uh, for a lot of the summertime and the offseason. But this program also has just it, – it's made a, a 180 turn, and you know that 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 that's that has come a long ways when you start walking on campus and the program and the culture itself you know the students are starting to show up more the the you know the the leadership the administration has really bought in you know they're investing in us and you go around uh denton uh texas and north texas the brand is just starting to reach out and become bigger down here and that's really now when the culture is turning around dolphins head coach adam gaze officially ruled out ryan Tannehill for Sunday's Week 7 home game against Detroit. Probably does not seem like a big deal to you. But it is. Because it means one thing. And one thing only. In fact, it means the best thing. The best thing being that Brock Lobster is back. (laughs) He's back. Let's call it what it is. What it is is Brocktober. The month of Brock. And let me be straight. I don't want this to ever end, ever, and it might not, because here's the quarterback situation in Miami straight from the mouth of Adam Gaze, who dropped this gem when he was asked about Tannehill. Quote, we're taking it really day by day, and every week, hopefully we'll see progress. We're working on everything and anything with pocket movements, footwork, things like that. He can do everything, he just can't throw. Give me my song, Alvin. Can I repeat that last part? He can do everything. He just can't throw. Last I checked, throwing was a requirement for the quarterback position, which just means that everything is coming up gold for the big crustacean. I mean, do you remember where this guy was a year ago? Cut loose by the Browns, who had a quarterback depth chart of Deshaun Kaiser, Kevin Hogan, and Cody Kessler. Shipped to Denver to be the backup, backup plan behind Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. And this guy was just so happy to be there. So happy just to be thrown a bone that he called it a top three day in his entire life. It's hard to to really describe it in words, but being back here today, practicing as a Bronco, being here at Dove Valley, it's uh, probably a top five, if not three day of my life. Um, Today's been incredible. All right, so if that's a top three day in his life, now that he's a QB1 in South Beach and the starting quarterback for a 4-2 and two team, this time for the second best record in the AFC, what would you call that? And he's coming off a game where he lit it the hell up, a career-high 380 yards in an overtime win against the Bears. So how good is this dude feeling right now? Ask him. You know, my, my confidence will never waver. You know, that's, that's something that's just... Um, naturally in me. That, that's something that's been built over the years. And, I mean, shoot, you saw it on Sunday. Sometimes you're going to throw interceptions. How do you bounce back? Do you want me to answer that question? I mean, historically, I think we know how this guy bounces back. I think we know how Brock bounces back. Historically, the lobster bounces back from throwing an interception by throwing another interception. And then chasing that with yet another Except this dude was just getting started yesterday. Because while the rest of the NFL was shocked and surprised that Brock Osweiler was out there shredding a Bears defense that was being compared to Buddy Ryan's outfit from 85, the lobster was not. 
you can go ahead and ask him that too. Yeah, you know, I would say none of it surprises me. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, as an athlete, and you know, no offense to anybody in this room, but you know, we we need to put you know earmuffs, if you will, and and drown out all the outside noise, um, because the only thing that matters is is your belief in yourself, and then the belief that your teammates and coaches have in you. Um, other than that, nothing really matters. And so, you know, throughout my entire career, um, I've always believed in who I was as a, as a quarterback, as a person, as a leader. Um, and so, you know, none of this takes me by surprise. Well, you want to talk about a short memory or none at all. This guy's incredible. I mean, first, here's how you know Brock Osweiler is one of a kind. He might be the first person ever to say, no offense to anybody in this room, and then say something that offended absolutely nobody in the room. Brock, if you're using that term, it's a free pass to offend somebody. Anytime somebody starts off something by saying, no offense, but, or not to offend anybody, but somebody is about to get offended. You had a free pass. You wasted it. You just said the word earmuffs and then muttered some cliche about drowning out the outside noise. Nobody's going to take offense to that. What do you mean? No offense to anybody in this room. Trust me, nobody took offense to that. They're just looking at you in utter amazement because you're up there holding court when the best you should be holding is a clipboard. Look, I don't want this just to be Brocktober. I want Brock Vember and then Brock Sember. And if we're lucky enough, Brockuary. Because the NFL is so much better with the Brock Lobster front and center, front and under center. We got taste last Sunday, and we're getting a refill this weekend. And whether he's lighting it up or lighting himself on fire, I'm all in. I never, ever want anybody to get hurt, ever, period. Even though that's a business where people get hurt, I don't ever want to see anybody get hurt. But if somebody has to get hurt, well, may as well be Tannehill because he's the guy standing in front of Brock Lobster. And if Tannehill going down means that the lobster is going in, then, well, hell, injuries are just a part of the game, right? Brock Lobster forever. Dave Doran. So first things first, how would you describe the mood around the team right now, roughly 48 hours before kickoff? Oh, they're doing great. You know, I think we've had a good week of preparation. They're hungry. Uh, they're excited about the opportunity to play a great team uh, on a national stage, and it's a game that means a lot to them for a variety of reasons. But uh, they're in a good frame of mind. We've had really good practices, and, and proud of the guys for their preparation thus far. Dave Doran joining us. You know, one more thought about that Boston College game. It's interesting, Dave, in the sense that you had a 28 to three lead. They made a bunch of plays. They were able to make it really tight down the stretch. I would imagine you don't love that, but what do you make of the way your team was able to kind of dig in, turn it around, and grind out a way to find a way to win it? Yeah, I think, you know, turning the ball over uh, four times in a game and winning is very hard to do. And uh, we played about as good as we could play in the first half and, and maybe as, as bad as we could at times in the second. And still, you know, the guys were resilient. Uh, they didn't flinch. Uh, we made some key plays down the stretch to put the game away. And, and that's a great sign, you know, because things aren't going to always go the way you want them to in a football game. And, and to know that you have a group of guys, and particularly the, the leaders that we have, Jermaine Pratt made a key play on a forced fumble, and Ryan Finley uh, did some great things down the stretch, you know, to continue to keep us on the field on third down so that we could run the clock out. 
NC State head coach Dave Doran joining us. You know, you mentioned what a massive opportunity it is for the team coming up this weekend. Man, you've come so close, so close to beating Clemson each of the last two years. So it's another huge meeting between the programs. So how do you approach that with your team? Do you treat it like it is a massive game with huge implications, or do you try and treat it like any other game if that's possible? You know, it's really not possible. I mean, you try uh, to have your normal routine, your normal process, but the guys are excited, you know, and the first thing I told them is the emotions aren't going to win the game. The execution is, and, and so our focus has to be on our preparation and the way we practice and, you know, studying ourselves with the bye week and improving, you know, not just schematically but fundamentally as a football team, and we've uh, done everything we can to do that. I think the guys have bought into that, our process-based approach is, is helpful you know when you get into a situation like this because we ask them every week to you know whether we're playing a you know a top five team or someone that's not ranked to worry about playing better than they did the week before and, and that's something that obviously with the mistakes that we made in the Boston College game we can really harp on. And Dan, I'm curious about what you just said you know whether it's I mean you work with young men young athletes whether it's a young athlete or anybody else when you're thinking execution as opposed to emotion how do you slow yourself down I mean is there something mentally or physical you can do is it only a matter of preparation how do you make sure that it's about execution and emotion and get yourself to slow down you know I think it's just how you practice I think that's the one thing that uh, our guys have bought in here you know you have to practice full speed to play full speed and our guys do that, you know, and we have the crowd noise cranked up and, and you have no choice but to focus uh, in order to look the way you're supposed to on film and, you know, for the receivers getting in out of the breaks, running the routes full speed so their timing's good with Ryan for the offensive line to be firing off the football and playing fast so the backs have the timing they need to have in their cuts and, you know, defensively being able to fit up run game, you know, uh, against full speed looks. I mean, that's the only way I know to prepare guys to be able to just focus on that six-second window and, and block everything else out and get your eyes where they need to be and play fast. Mm. We're talking NC State football. You mentioned Ryan. We're talking about Ryan Finley. When he first came to campus, you said that you wanted competition and you wanted some depth at the quarterback spot. Did you have any idea that he'd become what he is right now? No, you don't. I mean, you know, he's coming off an injury uh, at Boise State and, you know, didn't play a lot that year and was the backup when he came back from injury. And, uh, you knew he was a good player. We knew he was a very smart player. Uh, you know, Coach Drinkwitz knew a lot about him as a person, and uh, you knew that he would be able to be a quarterback that could help us win, you know, uh, as things progressed. And you started to see how uh, not only uh, intelligent he is, but just how much he loves the game of football and competing uh, day in and day out. And the way he manages our team, the, the plays, uh, the way he prepares, you could just see it over time starting to become that way and and that's you know where it was so um, fun for us as a program when he decided to come back and said you know I want to be the best quarterback in college football and and there's some things I know I need to work on is uh, you know you love hearing that from a young man and right now he's going about it the right way. Dave Dorn is my guest NC State getting ready for Clemson you know you're 5-0 and and that's the program's best start since 2002 what have you maybe learned about the team over the course of this season that maybe you didn't know when the season started? Anything at all? Yeah, I, I think the and this kind of started um, the spring, but just the camaraderie that this team has uh, across the board, the way that the offense, defense, and specialists, uh, the guys just get along really well. I mean, there's a really unique chemistry with this football team. They care about each other and 
not that other teams I've coached don't, but you, you know, there's years where your offensive guys are really close and your defensive guys are really close, but they don't interact a lot. And me walking out lunchroom and you see guys sitting with all different kinds of guys, different position groups. And I think that what, what that has allowed us to do is, is really help each other. You know, you see defensive kids talking to offensive kids and vice versa. And, uh, that chemistry and that love for each other helps. I mean, it's, it definitely drives those guys to prepare and know that they're, you know, accountable to just such a, uh, a bigger picture. And you talk about family, but when you have those relationships and that love for each other, it's different. You know, Dave, speaking of the defense, before I let you go, the thinking coming in this season was that given all the talent that you lost on defense, that maybe, maybe that group would take a step back. I don't know. From where right. I'm sitting, it sure doesn't look like it, especially in that first half of the Boston College game. It seems like there really hasn't been a drop-off. How have you gone about developing the kind of tradition that you have on defense there? Well, I think Dave Huxable and that defensive staff deserves a lot of that. You know, I think they do a really good job fundamentally with the kids. Uh, I think – you know, the, the kids have done a great job um, building those relationships with their coaches. There's trust there. And a lot of these guys that are playing for us, they weren't starters, but they rotated and played a lot of meaningful snaps for us in the past two years. So we did have experience. And, and to be honest, I think all the talk about everyone leaving and they weren't going to be any good motivated them. You know, I think that was something that helped us uh, from the outside because these guys, you know, had a chip on their shoulder. You know, last time you were on, we talked about how you first got into coaching. So as you look at your coaching career and that desire to be a coach, I'm curious, what's your why? You probably asked out of the players, what's your why? Let me ask you, what is your why? Why is coaching something that means so much to you, that's so special to you? You know, the, uh, the camaraderie of it and the ability to change lives. Uh, to me, when, when young men come in my office and thank me uh, for helping them get through something and, and I see them reach their potential whether it's academically, athletically, or socially, and know that I had that impact on a young person's life. That's why I got into it, and that hasn't changed. I mean, I'm getting messages uh, this week from all kinds of guys that I've coached wishing me luck in the game and thanking me for lessons that they learned and wishing they were still playing, and that's it. I mean, you love winning. There's no doubt the competitive part of this is, is one of the things. I love that, but you know, to know that I've had an impact on young people's lives and, and helped them become who they want to be is definitely my why. They're off their best start since 2002. Number 16 in the AP poll, number 15 in the coaches poll, and another big opportunity at number three, Clemson, on Saturday. Dave Dorn is the head coach at NC State. Dave, I appreciate the time very much, especially this close to that big of a game. Good luck this weekend. Great talking to you again. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's always a pleasure to be on your show, man. Go Pack. Go Pack. Great to have you on the show, Coach. Good night now! We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chicken intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.